You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Perim, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. We're all on the show this Monday edition of podcast. Mondays mean it's mailbag. Uh, Oregon coming off a impressive 42 to six victory over then number 19, Colorado. The Ducks move up in the rankings. Colorado fell out. And there were a lot of storylines that came with this win. And I have a feeling all five questions that we ask or that, that we were asked about will in some way, shape or form be focused around what happened Saturday. Well, we were asked a lot more than just these five. Um, credit to our listeners for being uh, interested in a lot of different topics. We kind of limit it to five or six each week, but we definitely see the, all the questions. And if we don't get to yours, don't be afraid to come back and ask a question the following week. We will incorporate them into the show. But five that we settled on to Matt's point. Yeah, this is going to be very much football centric, as you would expect. First three are kind of related to topics, big picture with this team. And in the back half, we, we get into some recruiting and stuff. But uh, we're going to start with a Frequent question asker, Dr. Quacks, who asks, four games in, how have your expectations changed for this team, and what do you think the most dangerous game going forward is? Hashtag Otson Audibles. thought it was just kind of a good baseline temperature check coming out of a, a big win, kind of see where everybody's at. Um, let's just do the expectations part, and then we can get into dangerous games separately after. Um, Mike? My expectations haven't really changed. I had Oregon winning 11 games in the regular season before the season started. I thought they'd be 4-0 to this point. Um, I The one loss I have predicted, and we'll get to this in a moment for my most dangerous games, or sorry, spoilers, was Washington going into the season. Um, what we saw on Saturday gave me a little bit more optimism that Oregon's defense can hang, but then having watched Washington several hours later in that offense, uh, some of that evaporated because you're just going, that's a well-oiled operation offensively. Um, but no, I don't think my expectations have changed a lot. Yeah, same here. This win doesn't mean anything. Um, in terms of my expectations, I had them going 10-2. and two. In my brain, I still have them going 10-2. and two. Uh, They still have to beat USC, Utah, and Washington in order to do that. And I guess Oregon State at the end of the year. Uh, I expected them to go 4-0 to start the season, just like Eric. And uh, I still think that this team is very good. They're about exactly where I thought they would be. Uh, but I still have them going 10-2, and and nothing's really changed since then. I guess there's not much more for me to say because it's the same, same answer. Nothing's okay. changed. I had them 4-0. I'm the one that had the, the fewest losses, 11-1 and uh, between the I three did of too. us. Did Eric. That's right. That's right. Um, just different losses. I had them beating Washington, but losing at Utah. I would probably flip that right now. Th- let's just make it flip it right back to you, Matt. So is that your most dangerous game now? The game in Seattle? Oh, hands down. I, I mean, I, I, I think USC is probably the second, um, just because their offense is not the same, but they're, they throw the ball a ton too, but Penix is the best quarterback in the country right now. Um, they have three receivers that you look at their stats and I know like stats don't tell the whole story, but you look at them and they're like, those are good numbers for a season and or like solid numbers for a season. And they've only played four games. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very, very good. 
they have an elite passing attack. Um, I Like you, Eric, I did walk away from the Colorado game thinking maybe Oregon's made some jumps here where they can match up um, yeah, against Washington. Um, and you you see what they did against Cal, and that's a team that always plays Washington tough, and they, they throw all the way. Um, I, I do wonder, though, like if we're really trying to find some kind of concern here, like they haven't really played anybody that's got a pulse yet. Michigan State was dealing with a head coach that got fired earlier in the week. They're not very good anyways. Tulsa is okay. Cal is okay. But you can kind of say the same thing about Oregon. Like Colorado is very overrated. Texas Tech's one and three. Their only win is against an FCS opponent. Um, Hawaii wasn't very good, and they played Portland State. So, Sure. We, we might find out who really is the better team when they face off against each other. And that's probably why it's the most feared game for me. I think I, I would probably move Washington to my most feared game. Um, originally I had it at Utah. I still think those two are neck and neck. Um, yeah. Agreed. Again, like Utah is probably the toughest, if not the second hardest place to play in all of the PAC 12, in my opinion, um, after going there in 21 and seeing that type of environment when there is a top 10 or top 15 matchup or there's a team competing for a college football playoff berth and Utah is trying to play spoiler or Utah is the team that's competing for the college football playoff berth. Like that's yeah. going to be hellacious. And that, you know, Washington is in three weeks time now, I think it is. So we'll find out. Um you know, it's hard for any, I don't know, unless your first week opponent is like Alabama. Like, I feel like everybody's going to find an issue with who you're competing against in the first four or three weeks of the season. Um, especially like when conference play just opens, like sometimes you're unlucky like UCLA and you have to go to Utah in your first week of conference play. Like then, hey, they finally played some somebody and not just, I don't know, some U- UTSA, no disrespect to UTSA, but like that type of level of opponent. But regardless, Washington slaps. Like they're going to yep. be so good. And we've been, trying to, we've been trying to tell people that Washington is going to come back with a vengeance after last season. Um, so is Utah and so is USC. So I think I would put Washington as my number one uh, most dangerous game. Uh, good book. Um, I don't know. I still like the back of my mind still says Utah just because I I don't I don't think Oregon's going to win that game. I haven't predicted that they're not going to win that game. And yeah. uh, the shades of 2021 are still vivid in my memory of like, holy cow, this is really tough place to play. So good luck, everybody who comes here. Utah is just hard in general, given the rising right. element. Because if he's healthy mm-hmm. and available, that's a really, really dangerous team, obviously. And the fact that they're unbeaten without him and getting, I would say, average at best quarterback play for the most part tells you how good the rest of that team is. Uh, for, I'll keep mine short. Yeah, Washington was my my pick going into the year for the game. I thought they'd lose, so that remains the most dangerous for the reasons these guys talked about. I would throw out the Washington State game not as being more difficult than Washington, USC, or Utah because I think those three are kind of on one tier. Cougars look pretty good, though, and Cam Ward – killed Oregon's defense a year ago. He just devastated Oregon State, who had been playing really well on that side of the ball. And that Washington State game is sneaky because it's right between road trips at Washington and at Utah. So 
that's like the definition of a schedule. of like a trap game there because that could be literally three straight games against teams ranked in the top 15 if everybody's taking care of business before their games so this is uh, just a reminder yeah. of how good the league is like we haven't even talked about Oregon State like yeah and and they destroyed Oregon last season on the ground in the second half like every team is going to be good and I think that the fact that the league is so good this season beyond Stanford uh Arizona State, and you probably could I, – I'd stop Cal. there. Every, yeah, Cal. But everybody else is at least – like, they have a pulse. Yeah. They, have, they have something that they can lean to and say, this is our strength and we're pretty good at it. And – but for, the, for two-thirds of the league, every one of them could win nine games. And it's not going to happen because it just mathematically can't. Right. But I think that's going to help eliminate these trap games is that like every week, oh, yeah, this team's ranked. What? We just played a ranked team. Another one's ranked? Come on. Yeah. It gets real in a, in a hurry for Oregon coming out of the bye week. That's going to be one of the more fun stretches of games that I've personally covered. A couple of really fun road environments. And then Ducks Cougs always seems to <laughs> develop at least something interesting happens for the very something least. crazy happens there. Every time those teams play. All right. Second one from at Def Ducks. I think this is a first time question asker. So thanks for joining. What signs point to the defense this last weekend being the norm this year? And what signs say it was a fluke? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Can it be kind of the norm, but they're still going to have trouble? Because like, I think that's sort of what I think. I think this is a really good defense. And I think there's just going to be offenses like the ones we've already talked about that make it difficult for them to make the plays that you, we just saw. Like, I, I think this is going to be, this being the most recent game, one of the more impressive defensive performances of the season, just because like objectively it was awesome. For three quarters, they basically kept Colorado from doing anything. And then when the second team guys and third team guys got out there, Colorado had a little success late. That's probably not going to be an outcome that happens very often. This upcoming weekend being one where it should, a game against Cal and ASU being other games. But there's some dogs out here in this conference on offense. And, like, I guess just the point I would make of why, again, I think Oregon has made huge improvements in pass coverage in particular. I think that the guys up front got home more than I had expected they would maybe in this particular game. But you look at what Oregon faces and just, like, to – to the point on the two teams that are probably the most difficult matchups on the schedule, um, USC and Washington, in terms of pass blocking, those are two of the best. Those, I think those are two of the top four right behind Oregon. And in terms of wide receiver play, those are two of the top five, Washington being the best in the country at receiver, according to PFF. Those are going to be games that are just challenging, even if the defense is really, really good and has made huge strides. So, um, like my answer is, I think this is like pretty good. I think this is like the caliber of defense Oregon has. I don't think this was a one-off by any means, but I think there are going to be games that we come out of pointing out that the defense wasn't able to win at the level that they were in previous weeks. But that's largely just because when you're going against an offense that is led by quarterbacks of this caliber and have the receivers of this caliber and the offensive minds of this caliber, there's just going to be tough weekends on defense where you don't, you know, basically dominate from start to finish. Yeah, Oregon's not going to go the whole season, their defense allowing like 15 points a game or whatever they're doing right now. Right. Like they're yep. not 2021 20, Georgia. It's just just not the case. There's not 
eight first round picks on this defense. Um, maybe eventually there's some, but this isn't this isn't like an elite defense that's just going to destroy opposing offenses no matter who they face. Um, and Eric's right; like this conference is full of really good offensive opponents. We talked about them already, um, and it doesn't get really that easier. It doesn't get easier at all over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, you kind of look at that Texas Tech game and like Oregon played decently. I think they could play better than that, but there's still going to be offenses that just scheme around it, that have the guys, they have the playmakers, they have their equivalent of a Troy Franklin or their equivalent of a Bo Nix. Like it's going to be difficult, but I don't think this is a fluke. I think this happened against Hawaii. Um, I don't know if we all took it that seriously. And it happened again against Colorado on a bigger stage stage and the same things that they did really well against Hawaii, which was pass coverage and getting to the quarterback and tackling. They did once again against Colorado where the pass coverage was great with Kyrie and Jaleel Florence. Um, the pass rush, Eric went through seven sacks most since 2017. So something not even the uh, 2019 team did like they did all of those things well in back-to-back games. Can they do it for a third time against Stanford? You know, we'll find out, but I don't think it's a fluke. I think this is how they play. It's just not going to look nearly as dominant when they take on a team like Washington or Washington State or, I don't know, USC in the future. Like, they're going to get their yards. It just depends, like, you know, can can they stop them from scoring touchdowns every single drive? Because last year's defense couldn't. And uh, that's going to be the main difference maker there. It's the bend-don't-break philosophy. Um. To Jared's question of whatever number they're averaging defensively, it's 13.3 points. Um, I don't – I I want to say, like, it, the answer is both. Because right. statistic, the statistic, statistically, I can't say that word today, uh, Oregon's points per game is better defensively than what they were like in 2019. Um, their yards allowed per game so far – is better than what they did in 2019, but they haven't played yet. You know, they've played one offense that's truly like high powered and they shut it down. But I, I, I don't think all three of us thought Oregon would win and would win by more than two touchdowns. Um, I don't think any of us really thought Oregon would do what they did defensively, but there was a scenario where we would probably all agree that, Hey, like, Oregon's probably going to hold them in check and, you know, they'll get one or two big plays and, you know, but they'll hold them in check. Um, We'll learn more. Like if this is going to be the norm in the next couple of weeks when they go to Washington and then they play Washington state and then they go to Utah and then they get USC a couple of weeks later um, and then they get Oregon state. I, I, I could, could they get to 2019's, reputation of being one of the best defenses in the country. Absolutely. They could, they're, they're playing like it. Um, we just don't know yet. And it's the month of September and every year we, we see teams across the country, whether it's their overall team skyrocket up in the month of September, and then they kind of nosedive in mid October and November. Uh, every year we see a, a, a Heisman campaign blow up for a guy in September and then it, fizzles out and we see that same thing for a star defensive player or a star defense. Um, we just don't know yet. We don't have enough sample size to know this answer. So I, I think the answer is both. Is that three votes for both basically? 
More or less. The other thing I was thinking about this was who were the explosive offensive Oregon played in 2019? It, they when were you compare it to this to yeah. this year. Yeah, certainly nothing. doesn't nothing nothing like, and that's what makes this year. It's going to be an ab- like this could be the best defense top to I'm not this is hypothetically top to bottom that Oregon has had in like ever we could say, and yet they could still finish not great in yeah. against the pass just because these pass offenses are led by. There's like half a dozen NFL quarterbacks maybe in this conference right now. Like I don't even think that's being hyperbolic. Like there's so many no. good quarterbacks. Yeah, oh, 100 percent. Like I was that 2019 team. I got off the top of my head. I think the most explosive offense they played was Washington State and Mike Leach, and I think that was um, Gardner Minshew at quarterback that year. Like they put up. I looked it up. They put up 406 yards through the air. Like. That's that's and they allowed 446, so they kept them to 40 yards on the ground. But like, even for as good as that defense was, like yeah. there are still instances where an explosive offense could get through. And I think that's like just the picture I'm trying to paint for our listeners. Like this, like Eric said, excuse me, this defense could be really good, but they're going to have to go against Penix and Caleb Williams and DJ Uyongale and Ed Cam, Cam Ward. Ward and everybody yeah. else and whoever they play. Shoot, whoever they play in their bowl game eventually. It's probably going to be a good offense. Yeah. I, no, to the 19, the other game, that the, the game that they lost that cost them the, a chance at the playoff was against Arizona State, led by yeah, Jaden Daniels. And Brandon Ayuk was on that team and I believe was the player who uh, ruined some dreams. So, And those are NFL-caliber players. So to that mm-hmm. point, when you go against big-time NFL players, which I think are on several of these rosters, it's just tough even if you have – you know, numerous NFL caliber players, which I think this defense does definitely have. All right. Third one from at Mr. Massinger. There's a, there's a two part. So we're going to start with the first and then we'll move on to the, the other part. He asks with Noah Whittington going down with a leg injury, will some other guys need time? And this is just, I wanted to throw this out where your, where your guys were, his heads were at. Obviously we're aware that Bucky and Jordan James are very, very good. And, could certainly shoulder the entirety of a workload. Do you think that they'll try to incorporate Dante Dowdell or Jaden Lamar? I'm just kind of building off of this question. I'm curious on your guys' thoughts into a role like what Jordan James did last year. Like, will one of them step into the Jordan James role as Jordan James steps into more of the Whittington role, I guess is the question. Yeah, no, of course. Like they've shown through year the two years with Carlos Lachlan that they're going to rotate guys. And even though they've had a clear, like, two guys who are well above the rest, they still integrated Jordan James into the system last year. They're still doing it this year, where Jordan James, you know, before this game, because Whittington got hurt, like, was getting a good amount of carries. Um, I don't know who it's going to be. Jaden Lamar has been the first running back usually off the bench in that fourth running back role. Now he's probably going to be moved up to the third running back role. So, yeah, I expect it to to literally be exactly the same, just uh, different personnel back there. This week, yes. Um, the, it's going to dictate on who they play and the game situation and where things go. I, I don't think we're going to see Jaden Lamar getting carries in the third in the second quarter at Washington. That that would that would surprise me. Um, Why not? Too big of a game. I mean, he if if he was as good as he was now, he'd be in the game earlier in other games. They they would they would rotate four guys. We we saw that last season with Cardwell at the very beginning of the season um, before he dipped off. Um, and in terms of usage, um, 
we, you know, why is Chris Hudson not playing right now? Like th- at some point there becomes a, a, a limit of guys that they play in games that matter. Um, if he was, if, if Jaden Lamar, Dante Daldell were the equals of these other three from a talent perspective, they'd be getting playing time. Um, I think they're going to be good backs. I think they've looked solid in their time here. Um, are there, are, I just don't think they're there yet. And you're going to throw a freshman quarter, you know, running back to be, you know, the, the personal protector of Bo Nix in a situation up in Washington where it, you know, the, the stakes are that are where it's at. And, you know, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, I, this week against Stanford. Yeah. And if he performs well, and things, you know, and and he progresses, then things change. Then maybe he does get in. But as we are right now, uh, knowing what we've seen, I don't think in three weeks we, we see Lamar play or Dadel play uh, unless the score and down, you know, score and, and situation forces it to happen. This week, I think we're going to see a lot of both. Is my yes. Guess. Because I think we're, if we're, especially if Oregon does what we think they'll do and takes control of this game. I think they'll want to get both of those players ample opportunity to show what they can do. They both played a lot against Portland State, haven't really gotten much mm-hmm. run since. Uh, this is an opportunity maybe to get those guys expanded roles. And to Matt's point, maybe maybe one of them earns it. Maybe one of them doesn't. Um, I think in the second quarter of a game to spell a guy, I could kind of see it going either way, especially with Jaden being from Seattle. Maybe they want to play to that a little bit. But you're right in terms of is that is he ready for the moment? And that's part of why I think this weekend – Gives yep. him at least an opportunity to show he can do it on a bigger stage. Um, does uh, does James stay as the, the third down short distance back? That's a good question too, right? Like you think so? You feel like they're comfortable with it? If but stylistically, Dante Dowdell is every bit as large and strong as anybody on this roster. Yeah, I don't know. I figured like last year it seemed like when James came in on third and goal or third and short, whatever the case was, it was like. Hey, he's got fresh legs. Yeah. He's going to get the best burst like right now. We're going to let the other guys kind of sit. And, you know, if he's if when he's running back two in the next couple of weeks, he's not going to have the best burst. He's not going to have the freshest of legs. So I wonder if Dowdow or Lamar, who's built like a, you know, uh, a brick house basically, is going to get that opportunity. But I don't know. I can see it. I just like for the last two years, they've been rotating so many guys so often that I'd be surprised if they just went with this like two running back system, even though these guys are true freshmen. I both think that they're just they're just talented and can with this offensive line can get some yards for you. There just wasn't an injury last year to see this scenario play out, too. So that factors right. into it. And I also think, you know, we haven't seen Bo Nix run a lot. We might see Bo Nix run more frequently than what he's done. Not going to say he's going to get like 12 carries a game now, but we might see a little bit more opportunities for Bo to run um, with Oregon down one running back. Might be a question for Dan as we head into this week. Might be a good one to ask him about if this is going to change the running back rotation. Um, Assuming no, we don't, again, uh, for those who maybe missed it, no was injured. I'm assuming anybody listening to this is pretty caught up on the Whittington thing. Dan was kind of Suggested he'd certainly be out for a couple of weeks. It sounded like he was bracing for maybe more because he was asking for fans mm-hmm. to pray for him. But who knows? We'll see. We'll see. We'll keep everybody updated when uh, we see Noah back uh, around the facility. And the second part here from this question asked her, asked her, asked her, sorry. 
they don't play the same position. Do we? But do we know the status on Jorian Dickey and whether he is available this year or has played? Might he be an impact player if given the chance? Hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, he is available. He's been practicing. Uh, he has played at least in the Portland State game. Did he get in against Hawaii? I think he got in against Hawaii. But his snap count he is did. what is his snap count like? Fifteen, I'm maybe. Gonna look it up right now. Yeah. Uh, he's played so he's played in two games. Um, his snap count's very, very s- small. Um, I wouldn't write him off as a player who could at some point have a role this year if there are injuries. What is it, Jared? It's 11. Yeah, so not a lot of playing time. I wouldn't write him off, but like I also at this point, it's pretty clear that their rotation is right now basically four players with Troy, with Tez, Gary, and Treshawn. I mean, Chris Hudson is clearly available and not playing. Kyler Casper's playing like very, very limited snaps, and Jicky's behind those guys. So, like, could he be an impact player? Sure, if the situation presents it, but I am really not expecting it. And I think I'm pretty fairly confident right now this is a guy who redshirts and is a redshirt freshman next year. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's gonna play much unless there's significant injuries. And even still, he's behind a couple guys in the depth chart. Like like Eric said, they're playing four wide receivers, and that's basically it, unless it's a blowout, which it has been a lot of times. So other guys are getting in. It's kind of giving false hope because they play four dudes. Like It's as simple as that. Like Gary Bryan and Troy Franklin take the majority of it. They play a lot of 12 or 13 personnel, which means there's only like one or two wide receivers on the field, and they play four dudes. It's very similar to what it was last year. They play four dudes and when Chase Cota got hurt they start finally started to play Dante Thornton more because before that he wasn't playing a bunch and they don't have like a super sub who's nearly as good as Dante Thornton was last year so yeah I mean I'm not saying he can't make an impact it just doesn't look great right now yep Uh, I agree I just don't think he's going to make much of an impact so all right we'll head right to break uh coming up we'll finish up the last two questions of the mailbag eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All 
All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's mailbag. Uh, three questions in, two more to go. Fourth question from a first-time question asker, and I really like the name. It's at Grizzle underscore Muffin. What will what will Oregon have to accomplish versus Stanford to consider this upcoming game successful? For me, it's winning the game, obviously, resting starters for 15-plus minutes of the game, coming away without any more injuries, and keeping penalties down. Thoughts. Um, he's covered a lot of it. I think the I wanted to just to focus a little on the penalty part. It's not going to be a raucous environment, <laughs> needless to say, on the farm. Anybody who's been down there in recent years knows there will be, I don't know, hundreds of fans. Dozens. Are, yeah, yeah, like it's not. It's a not lot a of people real, dressed as seats. Yes. And it's not a real road environment, but it is a game away from Watson Stadium. And hypothetically, that could present opportunities for, I guess, simulating what a road environment might feel like. And I think it's important just because of the, what some of these issues have been still like to have three false starts and a delay of game at home after there's been a lot of talk over the previous two weeks before it about avoiding those kind of penalties uh, was concerning. And you think about the game in Seattle coming up and the game in Salt Lake coming up. Those are to me, aside from Watson stadium, probably the two toughest places to play in the conference. You've got to get this stuff cleaned up a little bit. So I think the penalty part, again, it's not like Stanford is Seattle or Salt Lake, but it's at least not at Ots. And, and so far, Oregon hasn't done a great job avoiding those kind of penalties. So that's that's a thing I'll focus on. Um, I'll, I think the list that Grizzle Muffin offered here is, uh, is is pretty decent in terms of other things I'm looking at too. Yeah, no, good job, Grizzle. Um, you look for them to win the game. You know, shout out Kenny Dillingham and Herm Edwards. You play to win. Um, obviously, you're looking for the offense to continue being explosive. Hopefully, put up you know 40 plus points again. Um, maybe convert a little bit more and get 50 or I don't know. Like, they're, they're, Stanford's defense isn't great. Their offense isn't great. It's just a bad team. Their only win this year is against Hawaii, and we know how bad Hawaii is. So, granted, this is why you play the game. You got to go out there, and, and Stanford's going to give it their all. Remember, we all thought the same thing two years ago when we went down to the farm and. Shout out to the Pac-12 refs and overtime at Stanford because guess what? That Oregon team looking for a playoff spot lost to an unranked Stanford who did not win. I don't think they won a game for the rest of the year. That was their third win. They finished three and nine. You're so right. Yep. This is why you play the games. <laughs> um, you're looking for a beatdown. You're looking for exactly what like the spread says. Like Oregon's a 27-point favorite on the road in the conference play. You want them to win by that many points. You want them to get Ty Thompson for some more action. You want them to do all of these things. Um, you're so grizzled with the 15 minutes, like getting re getting rest for starters, no more injuries, keep penalties down. Like all of that's true. My personal thing, um, I'm very interested to see who they bring because this is going to be the fifth game of the season. Count them, one, yes. two, three, four, five. Redshirt rule. You can play four games and that's it. So this will be the true barometer of what freshmen Oregon is going to be playing for the rest of the season, barring an injury. So that's what I'm most interested to see. And I don't think this is going to be a close game. Uh, no injuries play clean football. Like to Eric said, with the penalties, you know, you can have, like Dan said, I think some point last week, you can have a guy making a holding penalty. You can't have a guy getting called for targeting, or you can't get a guy called for a false start. Those are things that you're just, 
you're in control of. And penalties will happen in a football game. They'll, they'll happen. Yeah. Yep. Um, that that's just going to happen. But there's ones that you can limit, and there's ones that you just have to live with. And I think he's more upset with the ones that they can eliminate. Um, so that would be I what I would be tracking. Um, don't turn the football over. Find turnovers. That's one way of, you know, giving your inferior opponent fewer chances of, of coming back. I, I, fifteen plus minutes of your starters being on the bench is a lot. Um, I I think it certainly could happen. Um, I probably would say it's going to happen, but to just automatically expect it, um, that's a pretty tall order, especially coming off the emotional win that they had last week. They're looking forward to a bye. It's on the road. It's gonna, The environment's going to be totally different from any environment that they've played in um, this season. And you normally say that, and you're like, oh, wow, it's going to be packed. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be loud. It's, no, it's the opposite. You know, the first three games at home, I, I think even the Portland State game, it, it felt different inside Autzen this season than last year. There was a lot of juice. And then you go to Texas Tech, and that place was wild. That place was cranked up. Um, and now they're going to go to a place where it's very boring and quiet, and you need to bring your own energy. How, how you know? How does how does Oregon respond? You know, I I think they'll be winning by more than two scores at halftime, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if like it's 10 to nothing at the end of the first quarter where it's like they're winning, but they're not playing good yet. And, you know, just we've seen that story happen to, to Jared's point. You still have to play the games. Um, so I, I come out of there healthy. Don't make mental mistakes. Um, and just, I guess the tackling and, you know, explosive plays is something else I would I would be looking at as a success. Like, if they're going to score, make them go all the way down the football field. You know, don't don't give up explosive plays. Um, those would be my early signs of success in this game. Just one thing that's maybe a baseline. You don't want people coming out talking about like USC Arizona State, where it was like surprisingly yeah. close late. Like, you don't want that to be like the conversation because you know that this is going to be very much a game that nobody's uh, no not a lot of people are watching this game nationally let's be honest and the people so that we're going for that reason <laughs> primarily also because of the opposition but my point right. is like this is a game that's going to be a box score check game for a lot of people who are like mm-hmm. having conversations like the ones we have nationally you don't want them to go oh Oregon beat Stanford by 10 like what happened there and then they have to go scrolling through right. box score to figure it out like you want it to be like oh oh Oregon won by 38 they did what they were supposed to do they go to the bye week now they play Washington uh by the way i believe it's a rule that each team in the conference has to be on the network three times in a season um the Pac-12 network so Oregon's probably not going to be on the Pac-12 network mo- much of the rest of the year this would be number would, three, right? This would be number three. Yeah. The first first game, Hawaii, this one. The only one I could think of is Cal. Um maybe maybe hey, even ASU. still like yeah, they're, they're gonna be like a seven thirty ESPN kickoff. Right. Yeah. Cal has been on like big networks for no reason yeah, this year. They have. They've got, got a lot of yeah, TV like, exposure. They they're not great, but so yeah, like Matt said, it'll probably be the Seven o'clock ESPN or Fox game, just uh, when nobody's awake on the East Coast, so nobody has to bear to watch Cal. Sorry, Cal. 
it's tough. Um, they go, at least they're going to a conference where there'll be a lot of attention on them, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Sure. Better than it would have been if they stayed in the pack four. Final question, wrapping up the show from a longtime question asker, under, uh, Nash underscore Duccaneer. Other than Tony Cumberland, which other recruits did Oregon make a big impression on this weekend? Matt, I will throw it to you. Who are some of the names to know and, and maybe some of the things we're hearing coming out of? Because I know there's been some reporting by yourself, by Steve Wiltfong, by some of the other regional reporters. Any buzz other than this guy? Maybe actually just start by talking about Tony Cumberland. Well, yeah, I mean, Steve was the first one to get up interviews. Um, while we were all busy doing our post-game stuff, he was able to sp speak with a lot of these guys. Been playing phone tag with Cumberland for an actual story. Um, and then a lot of these guys left Sunday. I, I did speak with Jonah Williams, a four-star um, in the 2025 class. He did obviously love everything about the experience that he saw was with um, Hampton the most. And then also coach landing. He said, um, he said he's going to hope to get back to Oregon. Um, but I guess to your question about Cumberland, like this is a five-star yeah, and he, you know, we personally at 24 seven sports don't have five stars yet. I believe for the um, 2026 recruiting class. Um, but he's a composite five-star already and he's going to be one that, and when the rankings do come out here, probably in the next couple of months, if not sooner, he'll be one. It would be 24 seven does have the rankings out for 26. Oh, they do. Yeah. He's number 11 overall. Oh, right. Sorry. But usually the five-star aspect of it comes out here in a couple months. We do a full we do a full like unveiling of five stars for the each recruiting yeah. class, like the first round. And that hasn't happened yet. Um, mm -hmm. I would, I would think. I would imagine. Yeah. He's, he's, he's positioned he's at 11. Yeah. He's positioned at 11 yeah. to be a five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, defensive linemen. We talk about every year, like you need to find these guys. You need to get these guys. There's so few of them out on the West coast. And this is one that was, now, 2026, this is a long time still till he signs. This is basically uh, a verbal commitment this far out. I, in my opinion, it's just a kid saying, this is my favorite school at the moment. Um, you know, other schools are going to continue to recruit him. Ohio State's just not going to go, oh, well, he committed. He's in the 2026 class, and he committed in September of 2023. We're not going to recruit him anymore. That like, one's over. No, <laughs> that one's <laughs> over. Everybody's going to go after this guy. But, I mean, big dude already at, like, basically 15 years old, 250 pounds, big frame. Um, this is a big get. It's a five-star, and, and it's a good start to the 2026 class. He's the first one. Um, having Jeremiah McClellan on campus, a four-star yeah. receiver committed to Ohio State, um, is a big deal. He told Wilt Fong the atmosphere was pretty crazy. Um, he, he liked the environment. Um, Oregon's offense certainly showcased. Troy Franklin certainly showcased a possible just, hey, slide right in for, for Troy when, when you arrive um, situation there. Uh, so I this was probably a good weekend, but it would be an, like a biggest upset in the history of college football recruiting if 
Oregon wins that game and recruits walk away from Watson seeing what it was like and saying, ah, not for me. I, I didn't like it. it. Like every weekend from a host weekend is, is a big deal. Um, I will point out this though, like it, recruiting has shifted a couple times since I've gotten into this position um, back in 2019. And we're starting to see another one shift. I, I think where it used to be fall weekends were huge, getting prospects from the current senior class on campus, trying to make impressions. Now it's more so of, Hey, we're going after flips. We're going, we're trying to get as many of our commits every single week to get up here to yeah. keep them here. And more so official, you know, more so game days are more about getting the Cumberlands, um, getting 2025 guys on campus instead of, you know, your, your senior class because a lot of those guys are already committed so this is all about building things for march april may june when the 2025 class makes a lot of commitments and getting your early jump on 2026 no it's a it's a good point there's been a big shift sorry go ahead jared oh no i was just gonna say like it's clear that that's a shift it wasn't honestly wasn't even so much of it last year like they still had big old official visit weekends on recruiting weekends, like against Washington and Utah, blah, blah, blah. This year it's like, it's, there's so many kids who commit during the summer. It's, it's astounding. Like we're not even at the end of October. I know it's just like a week away, but Oregon's got 22 kids committed. Like that's a full class three or four years ago. Like when Mario first took over, like, that was it. Like 22 kids was probably about it. And then maybe like a transfer kid every once in a while. But now it's like 22 kids and it's September. And they've had 22 kids now for like a couple weeks. So they're like, they're not that they won't add more because they clearly will, but there's not as many spaces to add. You also have to keep in mind that the transfer portal is still going to be a huge uh, you know, addition to their, their class. So they don't want to take so many kids because they don't know how many kids are going to leave. Like they have an idea, somewhat of an idea with the, with the senior class, but official visits like Matt said are going to be for flips. They're going to be for flips and they're going to be for, you know, putting Keep, keeping good your thoughts, guys. keeping your guys and then putting good thoughts into the minds of those guys who are coming up in the 25 and the 26 class. Like, you know, um, Cumberland is the first guy that I have in the 2026 class. I know it's three years away, so they might not get too many more, but the 2025 recruits are going to start to kind of roll in here where uh, they're going to get some more commits. They already have a couple already, but it's it's weird. Like recruiting is now you have to focus nearly like two classes ahead. Like, okay, the 23 just finished, like 24 we're, we're in the depth into, but we've got to start looking towards 25 and 26. And eventually it'll start coming up with 27s, and it's going to be weird because they're like 14 years old, but – uh, it's a it's a weird recruiting cycle, and I think Matt's right that this is beginning to change, and that we should the good universities will probably be doing this as we like as we go throughout the year, where not a lot of guys from this year's class, except for guys who are committed elsewhere and our own commits, and then a bunch of dudes who are in the next two classes. Recruiting is never static, and it is always changing, and that's the thing of this is what is working right now, and sooner than later it'll be something totally different and we'll be talking about why it's happened that that's the case like just recruiting uh, yeah like the transfer portal has made this so challenging in terms of juggling all of the different scholarships and how you want to use them and which classes 
there's so much more math involved. That's why you have to have like a full on staff of people. It used to be, it was just like Don Pelham was the recruiting department. <laughs> it was like one assistant coach is doing that as, along with his responsibilities as a position coach. And now it's like a 12 person department with scouts and uh, mm-hmm. you know, chiefs of staffs and directors of different recruiting departments. It's, it's more than 12 people actually, but it's a, it's, it's a completely different operation. And it's because there is a, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's ever changing. And uh, certainly there are trends now that were not the case even last year. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the odds and audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. Go to duckterritory.com for more coverage leading up to Oregon at Stanford three thirty kick. All three of us, plus a photographer, we're bringing a photographer with us this time. Yes, yes. Uh, down to the road game. So we'll have full coverage of that pre-post and also during the game, obviously. Um, make sure to go to duckterritory.com for that. Until the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.